Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Ghostbusters Afterlife, starring Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, and Paul Rudd. Written by Gil Keenan and Jason Reitman, and directed by Jason Reitman. It's our first time doing one of his films. Yeah. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to wrap up our 2021 catch-up cast. This is like the third or fourth time we've done this this year, but mm-hmm. a lot of stuff to catch up on that was on the back burner from last year. So, up next... What was this supposed to Was this, I think, maybe last November, mm-hmm. and then the summer, and now November again. Ghostbusters Afterlife, the titular Ghostbusters 3, continuing on the legacy of the 1984 film. I, I mentioned last week that was kind of one of our favorite episodes of mm-hmm. just breaking down story and kind of getting into the weeds with that universe, which is, I think, what was always appealed to me is ghost-catching business. <laughs> yeah, great. Yes. Yeah, so I, we got a lot to talk about today and what this sequel does and doesn't. Um, but first, like always, we pour ourselves off a little bit. Today we're having some, the Kilbrin 10 years, uh, uh, it's Irish, uh, single malt Irish whiskey, mm. which, you know, we don't do a whole lot of Irish, but, you know, this one is um, uh, a pretty pretty decent little bottle. And cheers to you. Cheers. And just kind of right off the bat, you know, with Irishes, they're almost closer to scotches. Yeah. Uh, so I get a lot of, you know, floral, and this is going to sound weird, like peat. Ca- chamomile. Get that peat in there. Yeah, a yeah. little peat, but like almost like tea, like a chamomile mm. tea with honey. Yeah. Mm. It's like a nice smooth drink, you know what I mean? Very smooth, yeah. I can always count on that with Irish. But excellent. Oh, you know, now, you know, I was thinking the other day because I was watching The Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. We should maybe kind of attempt at some point some Japanese whiskeys and just kind of mix it up a little bit. Ooh, good idea. Because I, I don't think we've ever, ever, ever really tapped into that too much. But That's we'll a perfect segue. Yeah, we'll save that for another day. Let's jump right into our uh, flight question. familiar theme i know we but that, i like that in this movie mm-hmm. kind of hearing those old melodies from the original film so speaking of the original film okay. and the karate kid i oh. thought we'd sort of stay in that vein today okay and so i'd like you to give me a property that was a staple of a prior decade that you could see getting for lack of a better treatment the stranger things makeover that would be a return to contemporary life with some of the past players. And I think and there's some examples, like obviously the Karate Kid with Cobra Kai's working there. Yeah. Certainly the color of money. You might be able to argue, argue, we'll see how Spider-Man goes, that the new Spider-Man has some elements of that in there. Sure. And certainly Creed. So yeah. in that sort of space. Yeah. You want to go first? So does Finn Wolford need to start in the movie? <laughs> uh, as long as it's not the turning, right? <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yeah. Um, this was an interesting question because when I really sat down to think about it, I was like, I could probably come up with a good answer. The second part of the question is, do I ever want to see this movie? (laughs) You know what I mean? Really good point, yeah. Because when we'll we'll get into today, I kind of don't like this repurposing of, you know, like of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And it seems to, it's almost like an epidemic in film, this fan servicing of properties that were uh, popular decades prior. 
But if there's one film franchise that I think is as dead as dead, uh, and I, A, want nothing more to do with it unless it's reimagined in the most spectacular way, because it hasn't been good in about 30 years, it's The Terminator. Um, give me a Terminator film that's maybe more in the vein of uh, Stranger Things, adolescent chase film that's maybe more slasher than science fiction. So I'm thinking maybe more of like the first film, mm-hmm. how it's more stalkery horror sci-fi but if you wanted to give me like the teenage version of that and it can be set in the 80s maybe set in the 90s it can even be set i think maybe currently i think you could have some fun with that and that would at least give you a new insight into a super tired out franchise yeah that's a good one and that certainly needs a reimagining and maybe a fresh start like that would be a good way to go Mm -hmm. don't we have a terminator thing coming up here pretty soon i don't know i think terminator dark fate put the kibosh for a little while did it i haven't really heard anything on the terminator front uh since that film came out and setacana like i said not since judgment day 91 have i really liked one of those films yeah it's been a rough haul for them What's in worse shape, Terminator or Alien right now? Uh, Alien's getting... Alien has had a nice little uh, run. There's a new Marvel comic series uh, oh, yeah, right now. That I think they're like six, five or six issues in. It's okay. And I know FX is in the works of getting a, a, a TV show uh, coming out where Alien's on Earth finally. That'll be good. So, uh, yeah, Terminator's in way worse shape. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> okay, mine's going to be different um i'm going the comedy route if you can believe that what about beverly hills cop okay nice so give me judge reinhold's kid as he's moving (laughs) up right whatever that guy's whatever his name was in there yeah uh the character in the film not necessarily judge reinhold's actual offspring yes it may be if so it works but that's not what i mean uh moving up through the police force and gets a gig to go deep undercover and Fish out of water, no ability to do so. So after consulting with dad on the way, who's now retired, or maybe a high-ranking officer in the Beverly Hills Police Force, they turn to a familiar friend, none other than Mr. Axel Foley. So, And it has to be Eddie Murphy, right? For sure. Okay, yeah. I don't need Eddie Murphy's son or Eddie Murphy's nephew. We'll go Judge Reinhold. We'll go Eddie Murphy and Judge Reinhold's son. Is there a spot there for... Ronnie Cox to make an appearance. Yeah, as I say, Ronnie Cox or where he Brian, speaks. Yeah, exactly. Remember Deep Blue? Remember that scene in Deep Blue Sea where you're just sitting there? <laughs> I know. You okay, Ronnie? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the mood for a buddy cop movie. Sure, maybe it's been it, a while. It has been a while. It has been a while. That's a franchise that you know I've liked, whether it's comedic or serious. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm going to go, and I think I'd like to see Eddie Murphy's had a bit of a reimagining of career mm-hmm. lately yeah kind of found himself again so yeah that's where i'm gonna go good choice uh i think i heard rumors and i don't know if i hallucinated it or not that there's a lethal weapon five in the works oh, with mel no. gibson directing which is if, the, if there was a, something that could do a reboot with it might be that uh, yeah. idea but it's it's been a while since you know a typical buddy cop movie mm-hmm. it's hard to call training day a buddy cop movie it kind of is but it, it's it's a rough ride right <laughs> I think the 90s changed that with like seven even though it is it isn't you know um yeah it got it got a little more um intense a little more procedural one way to put it yeah yeah, yeah. great choices boy that sounds like a pretty good double feature it does yeah i, th- I think i Again, I said, do I want to see either of these films was kind of the thing stopping me at the end of the day. I think I'd want to see both of these both of these properties. Yeah, me too. Let's I, can go, I give you one honorable mention? Yeah, go ahead. Young yeah. Guns. Yeah, that's yeah, why not? I don't remember where Young Guns finished off and who's left, 
but there has to be one of them that's left that has kids. And what I think that evolves into, because Lincoln County would be over, and so we're going to progress in time. I think that feels like a heist movie to me also. Like an old map, an old this, something on this land that was valuable, like some element that's a visage from the prior Lincoln County, Kiefer Sutherland um, era. And then it becomes a reclamation project there. So who's in that? Is that Finn Wolford and Timothy Chalamet leading the? Leading I mean, that, it, that feels like that, doesn't it? It does. Right? It does yeah. Who's who's big now? That was big in that era, which was Kiefer, Emilio, Lou Diamond Phillips. Slater was in the second one too, I wasn't think he? So yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that seems like a underappreciated uh, yeah. duo. You know what I mean? I agree. I don't hear anybody talk about Young Guns other than than you sometimes, I yeah. and I, I think it's pretty good. I agree. Did you ever see the Newton Boys? Richard Linkletter, and that's McConaughey. Yep. Uh, Skeet Ulrich, D'Onofrio, yep. and Ethan Hawke, I yep. think. Yep. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to do those period, you know, gangster Western films. They're just like not a market for it anymore. Right. Yeah. Until someone does one well. Until someone does one well. So cheers to you. Great, cheers cho- to you. great choice. That was that question. Uh, took a bit of thinking to do, but mm-hmm. uh, once it kind of all came together, I could fully see the picture. But let's go ahead and dive all in to our review breakdown of Ghostbusters Afterlife. You're a great mom. I don't know. I'm fine with Trevor, but with Phoebe, she really keeps me on the outside. That's normal. She's an awkward, nerdy kid. Maybe a new home could be an opportunity to start fresh. I just wish he'd get into some trouble. There's still time. What are you doing here in Somerville, anyway? We're completely broke. And our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Your father wasn't much of a homemaker. He could hardly keep the power on. You're saying he left us nothing? Well, I wouldn't say nothing. Alrighty, so Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, one thing I found fascinating just kind of right from the get-go is they've given the events of 1984 or, or have like, you know, have like the snap or the Battle of New York in Marvel. Mm-hmm. They now call that the Manhattan Cross Rip of 84. Like just Oh, well, of course. <laughs> Common lexicon there. Of course they named it that. Uh, just I never the, knew. What Manhattan Cross Rip of 1984? Because they crossed the streams. To close oh the, 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 the gate of Gozer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You're what? They're going to do that again in this film as well, Matt. They are. Uh, yeah. But let's start here at the beginning. So one thing I could just appreciate of this film right off the bat was, you know, Ghostbusters, All every iteration we've seen, cartoon, all the movies have been very metropolitan, New York City, city-based. And I really kind of like that they, Reitman and crew, really wanted to take that out of the city and move it to the country. And kind of play with those same ideas and that same business and just do it in a rural setting. Yeah. That was at least refreshing for me. No argument for me. I don't think I wanted I hadn't to, thought about that I, till I, right now, I, but you're right. I don't think I wanted to see the same like in alleys and New York high yeah. rises. Like this setting offered some other opportunities, even though we're about to kind of go down the same path again. Uh that I, I liked it. I liked it. This is Somerville. I don't even know if that's a real city. Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, so I like that. I, I did appreciate that right from the get-go. Can we talk about your sound for a minute? Yeah. I'm glad that you pulled this up or pulled that up. That's yeah, the, the trailer. The trailer, yeah. Because I was thinking a lot about the trailer. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to admit that going into this film, one of my biggest fears was how long is it going to take for what I ultimately know, which is coming. And that's them taking the mantle of the ghostbusters and attacking ghosts. Yeah. Now the movie for me does a pretty good job and didn't labor too far under just get to it, just get to it, just get to it. But I wonder if in this trailer, Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about this yet. Yeah. The curse of I've seen the whole movie in the trailer and therefore I don't need to see it. Mm -hmm. Is this movie better represented a year and a half later? And so there was a lot of marketing time they had. If the trailer Mm -hmm. is nothing more than the sound you gave and then we go into the barn and the tarp has moved back and we see the symbol on Ecto-1 and that is it. Probably. and I think so too. And even this trailer to begin with, I think doesn't really reveal a whole lot of the path that this movie's going to take. I mean, even from the trailer, you kind of think this is like a Finn Wolford vehicle, which, ugh. <laughs> okay, and to that, let's cheers that <laughs> it... Do that? I'm glad it... We'll get to that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it's kind of not. It's, it's his sister. And she was the best part of the movie for me. By a mile. By a mile, yeah. So it did kind of circumvent expectations of what you thought was just... Do we hate Finn Wolfhard on this podcast? I, I, a little I think, bit, huh? I think we just hate like... Him. What he represents is no, this, you hate him. this nostalgic piece. Yeah, I hate his stupid hair. Kid needs a haircut. Yeah, okay. Um, I liked him in It, and I and I did appreciate Stranger Things, but then he just he's like playing a type now, you know what I mean? Mm. Get oh, that wow. nostalgic kid and put him in this thing. Short um, career, Finn. Live it up, buddy. I know, yeah. Get into, find, find your, your different calling now. But yeah, I can appreciate how it's a little bit different than how the trailer kind of gives it off to be, which is Ghostbusters Jr. Exactly. Because in the trailer, we see the bit where one of the dogs is chasing Paul Rudd through the Walmart. Mm -hmm. (sighs) That's a lot to give away in the film because then you know we're going down the Gozer path Mm -hmm. and you know that there is going to be hell that's unleashed. And obviously, if you're familiar with the franchise, you know then that there's a a partner dog that goes with him Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, I think that the trailers in this, although they were well-constructed and made for an interesting two-and-a-half-minute watch, mm-hmm. it was way too much for me. Okay. Didn't ruin the film by any means, yeah. but I needed to be really... If if the environment is rural and we're doing Ghostbusters Afterlife, that title enough in itself is loaded. Afterlife yeah. of like the new Ghostbusters of this actual franchise? spectral the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Ivan Reitman to um Jason, his, yeah. or his son. His son. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of play there. I just it gave too much away. Um Do you think that's an epidemic just in movies today? Yeah. Well, do you see the new Spider Man two trailer? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've seen the whole movie now. Everything but the part we're waiting for. <laughs> the only thing they haven't shown in that yet is the other Spider-Men that show up. Which and that'll be in the next one in about a week and a half. Hopefully there's no more trailers and we just go in fresh. Don't you feel like you've seen that whole movie now? Let me ask. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I feel like I've seen, even I could have just done with one villain tease. I didn't really need to see everybody. Let, we should, you and I should do something. Okay. After Spider-Man. What's the don't next, watch trailers? Anymore. Well, what's the next big, big, like Marvel-y thing coming out? I after think Spider-Man? it's Doctor Strange, yeah. Let's you and me right now toast to this. No Doctor Strange that trailers? That we, we will not watch a Doctor Strange trailer okay, prior do, to seeing the film. I can do that. Let's just see if it plays differently. Okay, yeah. With no expect, we just go in fresh. Mm-hmm. We don't even know what it's, other than who's in it and who's making it, we know nothing about it. So if Doctor Strange, I'm assuming you're always right on that. Yeah, so. it's, it's May. <laughs> okay. So probably around January, we need to stop watching for Doctor okay. Strange trailers. deal. That sounds All good. All right, let's okay. see. Okay, we'll make a bet right here. All right. <laughs> More of an agreement. Yeah. 
Uh, let me ask you this because we're kind of playing in the space of new 2021 releases. Do you feel like Dune gave away too much? No, or I, I don't. Yeah. Um, and that's, but, a, that's a hard trailer to make for that movie as well. Like, what do you show to get people interested in your idea? Yeah, I wonder if it's the scope of that movie and there being two pieces to it or what. But no, I don't feel like, other than like the landscape and look of it, maybe who the players might be. I didn't have a whole lot of what to expect from Dune. I, fe- I feel your pain or your what you're asking me because a new Batman, a Pattinson Batman trailer came out about a couple weeks ago. Yep. I feel like I know that whole movie too. You know what Damn, I mean? I know. Yes. Like I know all the villains. I know like just like angry Batman mm-hmm. and he's not going to listen to authority and he's just going to be vigilant. Like I feel like I know too much about that idea yeah. and the style they're going for. So it is a bit of a, an issue. Is that a bigger deal just with superhero films or is that a bigger deal with just movies in general right now? Um, I think it's just across the board. You know, there was a, we talked about this too and it's really frustrating because there was a time when prior to the internet... Mm-hmm your best chance to catch a trailer was to go to the movies. And that was sometimes better than the movie in the movie house with all the trailers. And sometimes they'd make trailers that had no footage of the movie. Do you remember the T2 talking about Terminator again? It was just an assembly line. Mm -hmm. That's not even in the movie. (laughs) No, it's like a dick. Yeah. Tease mostly. Yeah. That's the, the, the word teaser trailer, (sighs) but no, yeah, I, I feel what you mean. Uh, Let's talk about the beginning of this film here in Somerville, Oklahoma. Okay. You know, I, I, I specified last week in the Eternals episode when we were talking about this, about what this film was going to Forecasted do. something you prayed Yeah, I put something into motion, didn't I? <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But yeah. uh, with the title like Afterlife, mm-hmm. and you know you're making a sequel to Ghostbusters 2, which had all the Ghostbusters in it, you knew they had to address that world at some point. Yeah. And here, it's this man who's running away from this mountain. A ghost is chasing him. And it's really evident early on that this is Egon Spangler in body double form. The hair, right? Yeah, with the hair and the glasses, give it away. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of luring a ghost back to his little ranch where we find out later that he's built a, a, like, 30, 100 proton packs. And it's just essentially a big trap. What we find out later is the plan is to lure Gozer the Gozerian uh, and all those ghost entities here, that way they can just catch them and contain them all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he's doing up at the mountains is actually interesting, too, almost kind of keeping them at bay yeah. from disrupting the flow of the natural order of things. Yeah, I liked this opening sequence. Uh, to me, this was the extent of Harold Ramis that I needed in this film, which was obscured. I know it's him, but we don't need to show his face. We know what they're trying to do. I thought it sounded cool. I thought it was a nice chase, uh, his proton trap, and then the way he's kind of done in, and it was very like, remember when the when the ghouls get Dana Barrett and all the arms come out of the chest? It's kind of what happened to him, and he has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So you like this opening as well? I loved it. Yeah, uh, It's five minutes yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, here we go. And to see this large contraption that he's made in a very Egon Spangler way, push the pedal, that's going to fire up the electrical component, electrical component that traps them fail is so him. You know, it is him. He that's was, him to the letter. The brains, the 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 science of it all. He would come up with something like this. And it fails. And then we see him basically make his agreement with what's coming, the Grim Reaper, and he just sits there and waits for this thing to come in. Isn't that what's so great about the original Ghostbusters, too, is how defined all four of those guys yeah. were? Yeah. 
the brains, Ray Stance is the believer, Venkman's, I call him the wild card, and then Winston, who's always shortchanged in everything of Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. he's like the blue collar guy. He's like the guy that like comes in and he's just like he's the fish out of water in this universe. Yeah. I think they did them all really, really well here, but yeah, I, and that's why we believe that Egon would do this. When whatever it is that comes into Egon's house and kills him, which I'm assuming is Gozer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Whatever spectral apparition that is, because it's so undefined, I think it laid out a very solid playing field for which these two teams, that would be the Ghostbusters Jr. versus the establishment of malevolent spectral entities, to square off. You can see that he's recognized there's a huge problem. He's trying to do something in order to quell this impending storm. But if he can't do it, and mm-hmm. I think he's the most capable sure. of the four when it comes to science. Yeah, then we're getting some large stakes here. Exactly. The, mm-hmm. playing, the stakes are very high because if he can't, well, what is Finn Wolfhard and <laughs> his sister? Yeah. And we, I thought it was a great yeah. opening. I, th- I thought so too. And hey. it, was, it was the type of homage and allusions to the past that I needed. Yeah. I didn't need any more after this. Yeah, um, a call here or there would have been okay, but let's talk about the rest of the the main characters. So we have the Spangler clan. This is Callie Mom. Um, she played Proxima Midnight in Infinity War. Did you know that? I did not. She did. Yeah, that's mostly a body motion capture performance, but that's her. Huh. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, McKenna Grace from you'd notice her from um, House on Haunted Hill. Uh, the Mike Flanagan one, and then Finn Wolford, of course. I need to sour mash th- this dynamic just a little bit because I really dig, you know, how they are as a family. Really kind of like there's a nice kind of wordplay. They give each other a hard time, barely making ends meet. They're being thrown out of this. Where's the uh, Spider-Man super guy? He's like, rent. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. that. They're, they're like living that life. Um, th- This character that we ultimately end up really liking and being our favorite part of the movie, which is Phoebe, I, I want to just, this is a little nitpicky, but I want to sour mash it a little bit because if mom is so estranged from Egon father and his sensibilities and his way of life and his way of science, it's really puzzling to me why daughter is like a spitting image of him. You know what I mean? If they've never met before, mom doesn't bring that influence into there other than trying to draw that correlation of this is essentially little Egon in child form. Mm. I think that you could do the same thing, but I think they could have built up to it a little bit where she's really good in techie, but as she goes to the farm, I think you maybe see more of the Egon transformation happen. Maybe Mm. she puts on, because she finds his specs. Mm -hmm. Maybe she puts them on later and just just over time becomes more like him instead of just being him right from the get-go. I thought that was puzzling. I know why they did it. In reality, that makes zero sense. Yeah, you're right. Why would you resemble a grandfather that you have no interaction or memory of or being told about? Or if they're going to go that route, you're right. Mm-hmm. I don't, you're absolutely yeah, yeah. right. Then there needs to be a strain between her and mother when it comes to mm. science, science, science. And there's a little bit. I wish she'd just get in trouble once in a while. Mm-hmm. But the strain's really between Finn Wolfhard and mom more so with sure. the sarcasm than the daughter, than mm-hmm. Phoebe. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I think um, her transition to full science nerd um, to be grandpa. It would just be more of an oh, arc, right. a more of an arc, but right. she's really cool. I mean, she's 
Is uh, well, McKin- yeah. Let me ask you about McKenna Grace. Yeah. In House on Haunted Hill, mm-hmm. I don't remember her being stellarly talented, but I can tell you in this film, mm-hmm. I thought she was the best actor. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Mm-hmm. I totally believed that character. Yeah. I thought she was understated and sapphic. Stoic, maybe, not mm-hmm. sapphic. In a way that seemed well beyond her years, which can be off-putting. See Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and oh, the conversation yeah. <laughs> that little girl has with Leonardo DiCaprio. I remember that, yeah. But I bought it. I don't think that was an easy sell, and I think McKenna Grace did it to, to, to her. Yeah. Let's raise it up to her. Um, I think she did a great job. You know what she really nailed, if, especially if they're trying to draw the Ramus comparison, was like his deadpan deliveries of like... Do you remember in Ghostbusters Amen. when he was like, Egon, this reminds me of the time you tried to drill a hole through. He's like, it'll work too if you hadn't stopped me. Like they mm. do a whole thing with her where she like delivers these jokes that just fall so flat because they're terrible. Oh, they're so good. Though. But they're funny. They're, yeah. th- that obtuse one really got me. Yeah. Uh, I thought Paul Rudd missed a chance to say, oh, <laughs> what a cute little geometry joke. He yeah. missed an opportunity there. But anyway, yeah, yeah, set up. The, but uh, that deadpan delivery of yeah. being just so serious and stoic the whole time really makes the comedy come through. And, you know, you know, to Drayson Reitman's credit, I think he would know that best based on the film and the screenplay that his dad helped make 30 plus years prior. So, yeah, I dig the dynamic. Oh, once they once we get to Oklahoma, it really starts working for me when. They leave a shitty situation wherever they were. New York? Uh, I don't even know. To an even worse situation. And they inherit their dad's debt. <laughs> His Chantate ranch, uh, dilapidated thing. And then another moment that's a little bit puzzling to me, and I'm just going to sour mash a, a little bit more here. Janine, uh, I think her name's Spitz. Uh, this is Annie Potts from the original, the receptionist. Uh shows up at the house just unannounced and is like, hello, can I help you? Or and like, and has a little bit of delivery and then just disappears. How come she doesn't show up at their apartment and delivers them like the wheel saying, hey, I'm just giving you this. Your your dad left this to you. You might want to go check it out. She just shows up to like have this moment and it's kind of one of those fan things are like, hey, we know who that is. Mm-hmm. And then when she just vanished, I was like, oh, where did she go and why did she show what why did she show up in the first place other than she was watching over the house for a little bit even if she does something as simple as give what's finn wolfhard's name in this trevor even if she gives trevor the keys yeah to ecto one Mm -hmm. as he's exploring the barn or whatever you're right she just showed up so we can all go oh my gosh it's annie potts yeah this I'm movie okay. does suffer from that a little bit. I'm okay bit. with moments like that, yeah, yeah. but they, you got to give them purpose. So that's why I would like to just put her in that scene, and here she is at the door, and here's the last will and testament of Egon Spangler. He left this for you, and she's like, I haven't talked to my dad in 20 years. You could have played a little bit more with that. Even if she shows up with the new residents moving in mm-hmm. to transfer whatever accounting needs to be transferred to the new owners of the place. Yeah. Then she shows up with the purpose, and in one of the envelopes is the keys. I mean, there's. You're right. You're right. Both of those sour mashes are very fair and a bit of a miss. You're fair. That's just yeah, something right. I was thinking about when I was watching. If they could just have moved these chess pieces in different mm-hmm. places, it might have played a little bit better. But you mentioned Paul Rudd. I mean, Paul Rudd's presence is really nice in this film as kind of like the teacher foil, who's essentially playing the Rick Moranis character in this movie. Yeah. 
uh, key, uh, Vince Clortho, key master of Gozer. Hey, I want to take his science class. He doesn't teach. He shows Cujo and uh, oh, what was, there was a second movie he was showing. He was showing another Child's role. Play. Child's Play. Uh, he just showing movies in class. Interesting choice with Cujo, right? Is that sort of re- self-referential to the dog that he's about? Oh, oh there from? you go. Yeah, but why not? Yeah. But yeah, that sounds like a really good science class in it summer does. school. <laughs> That's really good. So he can go back in the office and look at his seismology report. Yeah, he's a bit of a geometry nut and just, he. I think he does care about science, but the trials of education have failed him with his current students. Right, well, he thinks they're all dumb. Yeah, so I think that. I think he really cares about, you know, the work he does, but no one pays any attention until Phoebe walks in and, like, knows all about his P and S waves. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but... Once, you know, he's almost kind of, he's an important part too because all these characters are so oblivious to the Ghostbusters being a real entity and a real event and a big deal back in the 80s and how they all kind of dried up and were has-beens after. Mm -hmm. He's able to expand the lore of, no, that was a big deal. We all followed that story in the 80s. And when he sees the trap that she finds in the floor... Uh, the, the the ghost trap. He's like, oh, what a cool replica. And he's like, no, this is a real thing. And so they kind of go about trying to open it. So he plays an important part in in this movie. He had a great joke at the end that really made me laugh, which was when he was marbleized in the dog and then they break him out. And he was like, my arm, my arms really hurt from hoofing it or something. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. of course. That's, that's And that's so him, you know what I mean? Oh, that's yeah. like his type of deadpan humor or like it's not deadpan it's just like he's such a goof <laughs> he's so goofy sometimes. i'm glad that paul rudd didn't go the way jack black did yeah jack black became such a character of himself that jack black just became <clears throat> all things jack black instead of the character yeah there's an element of that in paul rudd because they are very good at what they do mm-hmm. but this movie showcased his ability to rein that in mm-hmm and I thought in a masterful way he did just that. Yeah, didn't steal it from because he is support. He's it's not his film. He's supporting this, which is a very odd cast. I wonder how they sold him on this, unless he just loves the idea of Ghostbusters. I could have, yeah. Why not? Because you know, it's the Edward G. Robinson role in Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. except he's still at the height of his power, where Eddie Robinson was not at that time. Yeah. But no, he's he really understated and played it played it well. People magazine sexiest man alive this year. <laughs> Paul Mr. Rudd. Mr. Paul Rudd, yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. To the dad bods. I really like Paul Rudd. The only thing I don't like about Paul Rudd, he's a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Oh, that's out. Never <laughs> so, mind. I take it all back. That's it. I take it back. <laughs> he's done. He was terrible in this film. I hate it. Rock that. <laughs> we can't stand them. Um Let's talk about this. This was interesting. I thought this was an odd choice and maybe just an ongoing joke through the Hollywood circles at this current point. Mm. McKenna Gray strikes up a relationship with the little boy. Well, they're they're like 12, 12, 13 years old. And of course, he's like the conspiracy, like weirdo kid. But he's running a podcast. I was like, what is this Hollywood joke about like people running podcasts that they're just like, it was Godzilla versus Kong. Now this so, and then his name is just podcast. <laughs> a little, a little, a little dumb in in, in my opinion. But he's kind of cool because he kind of becomes the Ray Stans character, mm-hmm. the the Ackroyd, the mm-hmm. believer mm-hmm. of the lore. Yeah, 
But I was just like, what is it? Because uh, everyone, every personality and entity and TV show and everything has a podcast to go along with it. So well, are we a joke? Because we're part of that. Does that mean, I mean, are we part of this joke? No, we're not. Uh, like, we're not part of the joke because we were ahead of the joke. Mm. But now it seems like that's just like a character, like a job for people to have in movies that is easy. Makes them ridiculous, too. Yeah. Especially the con- these conspiracy, because they're both conspiracy podcasts. Mm-hmm. He only has one <laughs> subscriber and it happens to be Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> um, but what did you think of what did you think of that? Would you think if they're trying to bring the dynamic of the old crew back, do you think they're doing enough of it with some of these new characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They essentially assemble 50 to 75% of the team with these new younger versions of them. And I think because they're young, so is Finn Wolford the Bill Murray? Yeah, that's yes. And then the hit his little girlfriend is the Winston? That's what I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably right. Pretty on the nose for her to be Winston, right? <laughs> Pretty Let's on cast the a nose. black girl to be Winston. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. If they cast them at this point where they're young, and this will lead into um, some stuff later on the podcast. <laughs> the mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. I think there's some room to watch them grow up. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big plans they have for this. I'm sure this made money this weekend. And yeah, it should bring in a decent chunk. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, honestly, there's a fine line between reheating it so much that it feels like Swanson's TV dinner mm-hmm. or spaghetti that you had in the refrigerator a day later, which always tastes better. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do. Right. And I think. And when you make spaghetti, you always end up making too much of it. Way too much. <laughs> it's like it's to sit for a day and then taste better because it's been marinating in its own self. <laughs> its own self. Um, it's like taking a bath. Exactly. You marinate yourself in your own filth. Ugh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me wash my whole body, and then I'm going to wash my hair with everything that's in this water that I've washed. I've never understood baths. Oh, I've never throw yeah, up. Yeah, yuck. Uh, I'm get a bath bomb to mask my odors. <sighs> odor water with pink odor water. Oh, you want to? Know, all right, since we're going down the road, <laughs> I had a little brother. Okay, and it was not uncommon for my mom to use the same bath water for both of us. Oh, so. God. I'd go first and she'd put a little hot water in there to make it comfortable for him and use it again. You got the scraps. Isn't that disgusting? <laughs> that's nasty. Yeah. God. No Ugh. wonder I'm like I am. Anyway, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm with you. I, I I like what they're doing with these characters. You know, they could have given him a better name than just podcast, but when he put the goggles on mm-hmm. that Ray wore in every scene of Ghostbusters. Yeah. It just clicked for me. I was like, of course he would be that character. He already believes in every chupacabra and alien coming down the way. Of course he's going to believe in this crazy stuff. So let's kind of talk because then Phoebe kind of goes through a trend. Like Finn Wolford's trying to get a job and establish himself and play the meet cute with this girl and make friends. Uh, And Phoebe's just trying to figure out what this world looks like in this house. And this would have been also the extent of Harold Ramis ghosting that I needed in this movie, which was this kind of chess. They're playing chess and she doesn't know she's playing with the ghost until the piece moves on its own. And the way he kind of focuses and showcases where she needs to go and what to look into and how it works and everything. I'm spotlighting it. I'm okay with all of that. I think that's pretty cool. Almost like a guardian angel watching over you and, Mm -hmm. Egon, I mean, that that's cool. Egon, here's the other thing, too. Egon was always my favorite Ghostbuster. Oh. And I think it's because I, I really like Harold Ramis's type of humor. I mean, I, I, I bought it. I mean, I like him in Stripes, you know. He wrote Animal House with Landis. 
So I really, I really kind of dig like where he's coming from with that. So when, when they started doing like the chess thing and then the literally spotlighting with the light, like moves, I was okay with it. Um, I was like, I hope it stops there. <laughs> it mostly did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't entirely, but it mostly did. Yeah. I liked that too. Mm-hmm. It, that was endearing. If his present, if you want his presence in this film, mm-hmm. that that was enough to kind of show he's the kind of specter watching over this project. Yeah, yeah. It's a slippery sw- slope. Here's what I would say: if the film is over, and other than maybe the car and the traps and like some video footage on YouTube of the old Ghostbusters commercial, I am good. I don't know if I would have been as good. Really? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I thought the cameos in this, and we'll get to all of them, yeah, were really well placed. Um, and I thought the use of Egon in this capacity that you and I are speaking about right now was very appropriate. Yeah. The title of the film is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. This answers one of the questions about what is the afterlife we're speaking of. It's Egon's. Yeah. And this unseen guardian angel like mm-hmm. presence that is guiding young Phoebe to look, what is a dangerous but seemingly very important to save humanity job? Well, it's a hero's journey. It's a, her own little hero's journey, yeah. And so if he acts as the old sage or the sacrificial scapegoat in that journey, if we're going to do the full Joseph yeah. Campbell thing, yeah. it fits. Yeah, I'm good. They do reveal him a little bit later. We'll talk. Well, look, he shows up as a ghost. We'll get <laughs> there, there it is. It's out. Um, spoiler alert. Too late. Sorry. Beep, beep. Rewind. Okay, spoiler alert. Here it is. He shows up as a ghost. If we don't get a touch from the other ones in this, it wouldn't have ruined the movie for me, but I was okay with some of the touches of the other ones appearing in this. And I would, I would have appreciated, like, I like what they do with Ray when she calls him yeah. at... Um, Strange first phone call out of jail, but we'll get to that. I think. Uh, what is the hell is his... Um, Runs Ray's a cult shop. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, he's been running it since Ghostbusters 2. Like, I dig that. Of course he would still be there. Yeah. With his crystal vodka. <laughs> you know what else I love about it, too? Yeah. Is in the conversation that... Well, let, should we... Well, hang on. Uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. That's here. the cameo that I I liked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like some restraint with my cake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then we have the cake in the kitchen sink, and it's just all a mess. Yeah, I know about, exactly what you mean in that metaphor. Yeah. Yes. It's... I of course you have to pay homage to where you came, and it would... And if they're still alive, yeah, have them show up, but... I don't need them showing up in the suits fighting ghosts again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it kind of pulls the rug out from Phoebe's character at the end of this thing a little bit or the new team that they establish. And now there's just too many people. At th- Let's build up to it though. Um, I really like these scenes though. So once she gets ghostly guidance from Egon, she puts the proton pack together. She has the PKE meter. She has all the tools. I love that scene when they go into the field and she tests it for the first time. Yeah. Anyway, because the sound is the same sound effect from 1984. It rips and just eviscerates her target. And she's like, did I get it? He's like, what are you talking about? It's not even there anymore. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I, I like that. I really, really dug the testing of the equipment at, like, at an adolescent age. And then the preceding scene is followed by Finn Wolford trying to put the Ecto-1 together with some more ghostly guidance from Egon of just like do that wire. Battery on the wire battery. Him taking it for a test drive in a field when they—I thought that looked really cool, by mm-hmm. the way, too. Yeah, that again, it's out of uh, setting. 
we're used to seeing the ecto piled down, uh, you know, New York streets. It was nice to see it in like uh, Oklahoma uh, wheat field. That scene when he's running through the wheat field and we are next to it and you're watching the wheat splash mm-hmm. against the windshield and you can see the moisture in there. And I thought that looked cool, that yeah. car ripping through that field. It looked. I liked it because it looked different. What's that? Um, it, the scene that you and I liked in uh, that film that Kurt did uh, with um, Schwarzenegger. Oh, The Last Stand, yeah. That scene through the corn. That chase a good the corn, corn chase there, yep. Cool. Anyway, it just visually looks great. Sorry, keep going. But when they get together and he's going to give them a ride into town and they've come across a ghost that's like a metal chomper and he like is like, that's a source of energy or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Played by Josh Gad, which is, I've had enough Josh Gad and I've had enough James Corden in my films. I need them not to be in things anymore. But I love this scene as well. Mm-hmm. Them ripping down Main Street of Somerville in the Ecto-1 that has a gunner seat now. Yeah. That kind of seems like a missed opportunity in the original films to not use that. Yeah. That could have been pretty awesome. Awesome. But for what they make it work, and there's like a little RC machine that's got a trap on it. Like, if this is Ghostbusters Light Jr., I like it because I like that it's different than what we've seen before. And I like that they're still figuring it out. These are characters that don't have the science background, that don't have the experience, that don't have the tools, and they're just kind of inherited into it. Mm-hmm. And I think it works pretty well here. Agreed. Yeah. Um. So in between all this, Paul Rudd and, and the mother take up like a, a relationship or a liking to each other. And they, they go out on a date and that's where she says in the, in the clip, like I'm good parenting this child, but not this one. And my husband was a loser and he kind of goes in, they kind of go through that rigmarole, but she's eventually going to fall into the Sigourney Dana Barrett role. And like I said, he's the, the Rick Moranis counterpart. Did you kind of like that? Did you just think that was too much for this film? Do you think it, it I was okay with that? It wasn't overbearing. It fit about the way Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver did. I, w- I wanted to get back to Phoebe. Sure. And this was enough of a break to make me want Phoebe back. I, I was fine with it. I thought their pacing was really well done. And I actually, and maybe it's because Paul Rudd is pretty charming all the way back to like clueless. Yeah. Um, I kind of buy him in a strange way, not in people's sexiest man of the year kind of way, <laughs> but that he would be um, awkwardly comfortable and humorous in yeah. his attempts to catch the, catch the woman, if you will. Their first date is finished with a great line when it's super awkward and she's coming to tell him goodbye and I'm a mess and I'm a dumpster fire and he loves dumpster fires. You should see my apartment. Mm-hmm. She tells him thank you by kissing him on the cheek and in such a Paul Rudd fashion, hey, this is moving way too fast. Yeah. <laughs> that's a line that's really not that original, but he just delivers it so well. Yeah, it's all in his his persona. Is it that with Paul Rudd, um, he's really capable of playing on the strengths of the others in the scene around him. Oh yeah. I think he would be an amazing improv guy. Oh yeah. Oh, I think they improvised that line at the end. I don't know. That, that seems like something that would come from him. You know what I mean? Like not in the script. Yeah. My arms hurt from hoofing it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He did a great thing too. We're just on the Paul Rudd train real quick, Mm -hmm. but on, on Jimmy Fallon's tonight show, they had been talking, Fallon had been talking about Styx's, too much time on my hand. He'd been talking about that song oh, yeah. for like all week. And then like eventually Rudd showed up and they like redid the Did music it. video. So oh, good. it was so funny. Love it. Yes. <laughs> so funny. He's freaking Dennis DeYoung. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's like Paul Rudd like shimmy and shake, and that's a terrible music video. Terrible. That, that the fact that they're just poking fun at it. So well, and Sticks just sucks anyway. Yeah, Sticks is. Do you hate Sticks? Uh, there's some songs. Oh. There's some. There's some songs I like, but kind of just the affect of the rock that they do. Eh, not really. <laughs> that is a hilarious video. Okay, you've seen that. Yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Uh, now they end up in jail for destroying. Half the city. Half the city with the the proton pack. And I try to think about how probably hard it would be to just hold that weapon still. Mm -hmm. Like, you have an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on your back. Like, what the heck is even coming out of that? Mm -hmm. Uh, But they end up in jail. And this was... The ghost stuff is pretty, pretty rough for me at the end. And the Ghostbusters showing up. This was the cringiest part of the film for me Mm -hmm. when... You know, you're writing a screenplay that's paying homage, and you know where you're coming from, especially the direct, the son of the director that made the original. And Jason Reitman's made his own nice little career for himself. We like Up in the Air. Mm-hmm. We don't like Juno that much. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and was uh, I'm trying to think of that. Oh, well, I'll think. Of, I'll think of it later. But do you remember in Halloween? I see, I, I, Jesse, I cannot believe. Yeah. That you just said that movie right now. Which one, Juno? Up in the Air. Yeah. I can't believe you just said that. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Okay. Vera Farmiga and Nana Kendrick and mm-hmm. Clooney. The yep. Clooney. Yeah. <laughs> you remember in <laughs> Halloween Kills, we get it. Halloween Kills is kind of a similar movie to this in, in a lot of ways, which is let's get a lot of things from the first film that worked and kind of redo it in like a kind of a new, crazy, different sequel. Like, they call these legacy sequels, which is... Mm. Like a thing that doesn't ignore the original instead, like tries to find ways to honor it. And I can appreciate that. But do you remember in Halloween Kills at the end, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, when Brackett's like, hey, Michael, everyone's entitled one good scare. And I told you, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do this too much. Yeah. We get a little bit of that in this jail scene when she's like, don't we get one phone call? And that guy's like, yeah, you get one. Who are you going to call? I don't need that in this movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that's trying too hard. And in a film that I don't think needs to try too hard, they're succeeding in a lot of other areas. You don't need that groaner in this thing. Okay. And I know I'm in my heart because when I saw it, everyone was like, oh, <laughs> I'm watching movies with simpletons. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, it's on the nose. Yeah. Too, it, too on the nose. On you the know nose. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that was that was the bracket. Everyone's entitled to one. Mm-hmm. One good scare that just it's too too much of the past when that needs to stay dead. Uh but they they get out and you know, mom comes in and is obviously upset about, you know, you got arrested and no one knows what this proton pack is. When they all get out, that they, they do an interesting thing, which is this new Ghostbusters team with Finn, uh, the girl that works at the burger shack. We should look up her name. Uh Phoebe and podcast decide to go on their own little investigation up to the mine. And this was an interesting uh, component that I I thought that they brought into the thing. So in the original Ghostbusters, when they're in jail, coincidentally enough, you remember when they get arrested by the, by Dickless and the mayor for shutting down and letting all the ghosts out. Yeah. Egon tells the story of who built Dana Barrett's apartment building. And it's this man, Evo Shandor. Mm -hmm. And he was into like ritualistic sacrificing and practices. And he built a pulpit at the top of this thing to bring about the end of the world. And it looks like it may actually happen. Yeah. Well, Evo Shandor is allegedly from Somerville, Oklahoma, 
use the steel mind or the oil mind or something from this town to build that building. So this is where his evil originated from, which is this whole unholy pit. They go down to it and what do they see is like this like sculpture of Gozer, dot the dogs, and evil Shandor in like coffin form mm-hmm. there. You know who played him? Yeah. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Jason Reitman type. Because yeah. he's in Juno and I think he's in Up in the Air. He's I think he's he's kind of like a stalwart that shows up in a lot of his films. The girl at the burger shop is Celeste O'Connor. Okay, yeah. And her name in the film is uh I can't even read that, Jesse. Let me see. Go back. <laughs> it just says Phoebe's classmate. To make, does she, what have, she doesn't have a name. Huh? Let me look it up here. Yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, that's what I thought that said. I, I liked that they brought Evo Shandor yeah. into the film because there's a lot unsaid about him in the original film. And I kind of wish we would have just that he would have been like the evil or the source of it. Uh, Go ahead. Finding him and a way to use him previously mentioned in another film or the, the original film 30 years later, her name is lucky lucky Yeah, is where for the chagrinny, who you going to call from the jail cell moments, Mm -hmm. this way more than balances its books for me. Okay. Evo Shandor as a one-off, and then played out to some piece in the story that matters here is in a great way what the movie should have been about. And it, and since it was where if you screw that up and you get the Parasec run, you get Solo. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. So they found a way Even to... Even though that's the best part of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. They found a way to dig out something from the earlier part that could be what the basis of the... Of the conflict was instead yeah. of who you going to call from jail. Yeah. So I think we're seeing at times maybe some mistakes by Reitman, but then also I think some well-crafted original storytelling. No, then that's when I like the movie. I like when it leans into showing us new things mm-hmm. or new avenues or new characters and less of when we're showing stuff from the, the last films. I love the sound effects. I love the music's like the same soundtrack from 84. I love that. Mm-hmm. Because we're living in that same universe. But I like seeing Evil Shandor. We haven't seen it. We love J.K. Simmons. Uh, we're going to see him again in Spider-Man <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when we bring the Zool Dogs back into it and we just do the Zool plot again and then Gozer shows up and we do the Gozer thing again, I need less of that. And why couldn't he have just been the bad guy? Yeah, I know. That's fair. Because he's done away with, like, nothing. Like, you you look away to get some popcorn, and he's gone for he's the rest gone. of the movie. Yeah, did they actually defe- did they actually kill him? I thought Gozer did something and, like, sliced him in half, and he just, dis- like, eviscerated. Mm, okay. And he's a corpse. Yeah. But I love what Egon did here. Uh, so whatever pulpit is happening here, almost like very Temple of Doom-like, gateway to ghostly hell. Mm-hmm. And he's keeping it at bay. He's With the proton got, packs. He's got like five of them in like a sequential circle yeah. that when it gets too crazy, and that's the earthquakes that are happening here, uh, puts them back into hell or wherever wherever that's coming from. Mm-hmm. So cool. Love it. I, lo- I, I, I really dig that. Yeah, I thought that was great too, using the stuff that he's already built to 
tackle what is a clearly a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Gozer and Ghostbusters 1 was a big problem. The ooze, I guess, in New York City, number two is whatever that was. (laughs) But this is like this well to hell filled with all of these demonic entities that are about to spill out into mankind. Mm -hmm. And the only thing keeping them from doing that is Egon's... Science. Hockneyed science. Yeah. Duct tape science, MacGyvered rigged trap. Well, and it's it's his solitary science too, because when mm-hmm. we find out from the call the ray that made me chagrin a lot, uh, which is they're pissed at him yeah. for abandoning them, bailing on them, and none of them know why. They don't know he died, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they don't know why he did it, why he just went, bailed and went to the middle of the country to dispose of evil. Like he had all the good intentions to do it, but you know, they're they're a little upset about him for just you know, bailing on them the way he did. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I like the setup. I just don't like the characters that it starts bringing back. Okay. Because, uh, you know, when, when we get into this kind of trick, and here's the thing. So when you talked about that Walmart scene with Paul Rudd mm-hmm. and the Zool Dog, mm-hmm. I think they used a puppet in the close-ups. It looked like a real thing. It wasn't a C- When it's running, it's CGI, of course. But when it was there, I was like, good for them. I mm-hmm. think they actually tried to do a Make real it. effect. Make it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, cheers to that. I absolutely love stuff like that. Um, but these, it got a little too cute for me with these little Stay Puft yeah. guys. Yeah. And I, I don't know what kind of a mandate that was from Sony or Columbia to cute it up for the kids. Uh, but it, it went a little too far. Yeah. They're making, they're s'moring themselves. Like, it was just like them killing themselves. And did you, you ever play Lemmings? Mm-hmm. Where you had the little Lemmings and you got to, like, get them to the end yeah. and they die in horrific fashion? That's what this was. Yeah. Uh, they're they're in a blender and they're melting and it's just too much. It's like Baby Yoda. Grogu. <laughs> and there's no reason for them to be doing that because the forces of hell haven't been really unleashed yet unless the dog is the conduit that allows possession of marshmallows. Like I don't, it's too early for and if, if, it, if Paul Rudd's possessed by the dog, which is coming. Yeah. Maybe. And if the marshmallow man's coming back, bring back the gigantic yeah. one. Why are we doing little tiny cute ones? I don't know. Yeah. Right. I would have loved if that marshmallow man came and was like barreling down the farm corn. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that would have been pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But no, they're, they're, they're minuscule. And so I guess it's, because we don't want to scare the kids. We still want them to like the movie. So we got to kind of, the dogs are too extreme and that's too cute. I need a, I need a good middle ground. Somewhere people. between. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he gets, he gets p- possessed by um, the Zool, the Zool dog. He's yeah key master. And then the other one goes and gets the mom. Uh, and then in a very Sigourney Weaver transformation, she has the dress and everything mm-hmm. in the eyes and, they go have their rendezvous on top of the mountain. So very much like the, the the original one. But when the team assembles here, our our new Ghostbusters team, and they go get the Ecto-1, they get the proton pack out of um, uh, evidence, the evidence locker at the, at the jail cell. And now they've come together and they're a team and they kind of know what they need to do is they need to go put Gozer back to, back to rest. The original Ghostbuster spends a good chunk of time of them ascending the building, going up the stairs. Are you a god? No. Getting blasted away. Like, there's some trials that they go through to to the point where the first time you watch Ghostbusters, you're like, I don't know if these guys are going to be able to do it. Like, the, the, the odds are really stacked against them. When little McKenna Grace, Phoebe, bless her heart, 
is just like perfectly okay with walking up to Gozer just there on the steps with all the good intentions of trying to get mom back. I was like, oh my gosh, like these, these other guys had a hard time doing that and you're just able to just go up and like it's nothing. I feel like they could have built up to this confrontation a little bit. If you're going to use Gozer, I feel like they should have made it a little more like like it mattered a bit. It's They want to use it, but they don't want it to be too hard to defeat. I felt like it was too easy to walk up to Gozer and negotiate and then just get mom back. First, deliberate as it is to learn how the chess pieces move and spotlight this as Egon takes over the spectral form of information and to get Ecto-1 moving and learn how to open the trap as as deliberate and pedestrian as that is not in a bad way, but it is very deliberate. We are moving at record speed right now mm-hmm. against large, large entities of evil. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you're right. It's, it's too much, too fast, too soon. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the ghost that's the, the muncher. Yeah. The first ghost they try to catch. Yeah. He is more than enough for them to handle. And they go from barely being able to catch or just catch essentially Slimer, the new version of him, to... He doesn't even show up in this movie. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. They're struggling with the guy that just, this ghost that just wants to eat a bunch of metal. And they, this fat Josh Gad ghost. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we catch him and we're going to go take on Gozer? I don't know. Here's another missed opportunity that they could have leaned into a little bit more is... In the original, when they walk up to Gozer and Winston's like, I thought Gozer was supposed to be a man. And Egon's like, it's whatever it wants to be. To me, Gozer was, that was just one form of it. They could have done Gozer, but then like been creative and like made a different form of the destructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, you know what I mean? It's like we, we become too uh, complacent with the familiar where we don't want to try new things or introduce new concepts. Yeah. And that's weird in a movie that's already doing that. Agreed. Yeah, you're right. Because Gozer could have shown up out of that pit and not been the flat top uh, looking uh, metal Eastern European uh, hard rock chick that o- she is. Olivia Munn meets Billy Idol. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could have been a, a new form of the destructor, Gozer the Gozerian. Mm-hmm. Kind of a missed opportunity there. Yeah, a little reheated, you're right. Uh, but the, 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 we're all leading it back to the farm. And I think this is something we wanted to see, which was... We didn't get to see Egon's trap uh, really work in that opening scene, but now when we've discovered the plans for it, like, what would this even look like? What's it going to take to make this happen? And so their plan to bring it all together is is pretty cool. Uh, like, I, I like how they they try and lure a Gozer into there, and she's like half a form, so she's more demonic. I'd rather have seen that than just how how, how she is, mm-hmm. but really coming to retake over mom that way because you need both dogs to do it, I, I suppose, is the rules. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- they all meet there at the farmhouse, and odds are stacked against them. The little podcast is getting munched on by the marshmallows. Uh, the power goes out. Gozer's about to grab the daughter and do God knows what. Yeah. And then... Um, and then this is when we get our, our big cameo of the film, which is the original Ghostbusters, Aykroyd, Stance, uh, Bankman Murray, and Zettimore, uh, Ernie Hudson show up in their suits. Again, I don't think, I know you 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 want this satisfaction. I could have done without all of this because Bill Murray looks asleep in this cameo. He does. In his typical Bill Murray fat. You know who was the best of all of them was Winston. He was, like, yeah. Yep. And then we'll talk about, you know, where this film ends because they there's they did some interesting stuff with his character where he was always 
the forgotten, the blue collar guy, even like what he did when he walks up to the Ecto and he's like, what did they do to you? Like almost like that was his baby. He put the Ecto together in a workable mechanical fashion because that was his expertise. And he's made like a business for himself with whatever cryptocurrency or whatever. <laughs> uh, but he's made an empire for himself. So he's business savvy now. What could he do with the, and we'll talk about that later because mm. that, that could be cool. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was the most capable of all these very aged actors in their original suits. You're right. Now, part of me, what's kind of a miracle about this film too is Ghostbusters 3 was maybe one of the most Devo held movies I can ever think of the will they won't they make a third and Bill Murray's in Bill Murray's out. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. Harold Ramis at this. And now he's passed. Can we ever do it? I was always kind of called ghostbusters in hell was an idea that was floated around for years and it just never happened. You know what I mean? Like it went other ways. So um, I think at least for the miracle of this film happening, I think ghostbusters three in a way did happen. Mm -hmm. So um, and this is probably the way it needed to go, yeah. which is less of them and more of something else. Passing the torch along. Yeah, passing the torch along. Uh, but when they all start fighting here, and it's nice to see them light up the proton packs, and they they talk about their last fight with, with Gozer and this and that. But this is where we get the, the moment with the Egon ghost of the... You know what it reminded me of? And it's interesting to, to kind of to hear that... that this didn't bother you as much as it probably bothered me. Uh, where it becomes too sentimental. I, I love the intention of what they're trying to do, which is this is here's ghost grandpa, the original leading the way, helping you out along the way. If I saw hands, that probably would have been enough for me, but they show him mm-hmm. in a CGI rendered version. It's very Tarkin of rogue one. And you know what it's bringing. And then it's weird that he's dead too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the family had to have signed off and been okay with this. Um, where was I going with, uh, with this ghostly? Oh, it reminds me of in super eight. You remember when the last piece of the locket completes the, (laughs) Oh my God. It's too heavy handed for me in a film. That's already having its cake every which way I, I, I look, I don't need this because the ghostly guidance has been enough for me. Let's let McKenna grace Phoebe have her moment without, making it all about the original Ghostbusters. That's, to me, not what this film's about. It is a very much passing of the torch film. Yeah, I, I knew you were worried about that when we talked about it and sort of said it on the podcast, too. What were they going to do with Egon? And I think, sh- jokingly, you said, I can't take Ghost Egon. I guess it didn't bother me as much as it did you because I felt like at least it was set up. Now, it didn't need to be paid off with him actually showing up because whether it was chess or him guiding Phoebe through the catacombs of his laboratory and science and such, I think that they let us all know that Egon was in play here. In fact, like you said, she looks like him. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't bug me as much as it did you, but I understand your criticism there. Um, I think part of what helps for me is the fact that the film is titled Afterlife and I think Son is giving a nod to Dad. The question is, and it's a fair one, was that already done enough before Egon showed up? And then the bigger point, I think, in the story is, is he the one that makes that much difference that turns the tide and lets them uh, win the day? Because that's pretty. That, that's the one I don't know about. Yeah, apparently so. If three can't do it, it has to be four is, is the thing. Yeah. 
I guess. But the end of the weird thing that happens is they all end up interacting with him. Yeah. And he can't talk. Nope. Because there's they didn't recreate his voice. His voice. They just recreated Smiles. his likeness. But then like Finn Wolford goes and gives him a shake and he hugs daughter and I'm just it's too much for me. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I feel like the film could have stood on its own and paid tribute in another way that it's already paid tribute to. It's like Cobra Kai. You brought up Cobra Kai. I don't need to see a scene in season four or five or however long that show goes. I don't need to see recreated Pat Morita as Miyagi showing up in that show in any fashion. Yeah, no. I just think, you know, especially once they've passed, I was like, you have to let things go. And they they could have paid. And then literally, as soon as the film ends, it goes for Harold. There's your tribute. And then his legacy has essentially been his character and his new... Uh, reincarnation in his daughter or his granddaughter. They did a good job with that and then just really just opened our mouth and just shoved it all down our throats, at least down my throat. Okay, no, I, it's you're not wrong. Because it was it, it was a fear I had because a lot of these films are doing that. Halloween Kills did a mm-hmm. ton of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, these Terminator sequels have done that or they're redoing things that have happened in the films because it's nostalgic. Yeah. It's that scene. Uh, and it's bringing fucking Palpatine back into the rise of Skywalker because he's a name we know. Like we need to get away from that. Like, like, like why can't we just be confident in like the new stuff we're putting on the screen? Yeah. They won't like it unless we put in ghost Egon or unless we bring back Bill Murray, they'll hate this movie unless we do that. You know what? I'll actually like it more if you don't bring Bill Murray into this thing. Okay. Yeah. The one cameo I would have accepted in this film would have been Rick Moranis, who's been retired from acting from 1997 to take care of his children because his wife died of cancer. So good for him. Yeah. Uh, But if they had found a way to get him back in some way, oh, yeah, I'd I'd be much more enthusiastic just because I haven't seen him in so long. It'd be a nice image to see Rick Moranis. Yeah. But it wraps up and... We think we've seen a, a bit of a new Ghostbusters team assemble, and they all kind of did their job, and they're all kind of talking it up with the with the new Ghostbusters and or the old ones, and that's where we learned that Ray's the subscriber to podcasts, podcasts because they're very like minded, and Winston's, uh, you know, you know, affini- uh, affiliation with the Ecto One, and Bill Murray is we're gonna go have rum with our hot chocolate, and this uh, very much, very much him, but. Uh, it wraps up and we get that nice little tribute, which that, that part I did like. And then the film, the film ends and it's kind of ends really quickly. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really feel like the, like the new team didn't really get their like chance to like say, Hey, we did it. You know what I mean? One post credit scene. Two. Oh, I didn't see the second There's one. There's two. Yeah. So we left before the second one. Well, let's talk about the first one. So another cameo. Yeah. This was interesting. So kind of tell me about your interpretation of this. So Sigourney Weaver shows up as Dana Barrett and, She's pulling a switcheroo on him and playing the uh, uh, ESP game that he was playing with the students of what do you see and then giving him a little shock. Were they married? It felt like it. She had a a ring on, Mm -hmm. so it kind of felt like after the events of Ghostbusters 2 and Little Baby Oscar that they put it together. (laughs) He settled down, yeah. Maybe. I kind of thought so, too. That's interesting, yeah. Kind of cool to tie that knot because that's of the sleaziest things Vakeman's ever done, which was... Hone in on this girl to shock this other guy. I'm getting a little tired of this. <laughs> Where she's pulling the switcheroo on him. I thought that was a nice little touch there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the second one was interesting. So 
this is the Marvel epidemic, right? Mm. Where we're sitting through all these credits for a little something extra. I can't believe we left for this. Go ahead. Yeah. But you don't know what movies are going to do it anymore. You know, know what I mean? Like, right. it's not like every film needs to do it. Honestly, I don't need any films to do it. Just do it all at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. Uh, it's a deleted scene from the original film before the battle with Gozer where Annie Potts goes and gives uh, Harold Ramis a coin from like the New York World's Fair 1960 something as like a good luck charm. Mm-hmm. So when it cuts back, she's like in an office and she's playing around with that same coin, talking to Winston across a desk saying, I built this whole kind of company and it was always about the team. And it's like, I never believed I was going to see the things I saw way back when, but I'm always grateful. I'll always be a Ghostbuster first and this second. Mm -hmm. So him kind of paying tribute to that. But then Winston goes and reopens. He buys the firehouse. He opens it up and then someone drives the Ecto-1 into the thing, almost like they're opening them back up for business and then the final shot was of the, do you remember Dickless when they go shut down the thing? Is the final shot's the the uh, trap compactor, and it was like it's blinking on like something's in there. Ooh. Yeah. So teasing of, are we going to get back there? And is something unholy waiting for us in, in the thing? Here we go. I kind of like, I kind of, I, I like what they did for Winston. I mean, he's always just been like, he wasn't on the poster. No one ever had Winston toys. Like he was always, for, he was even forgotten in the cartoon a little bit. Like it was nice for him to kind of like get his due yeah. a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. But, uh, do you have anything you want to say about Ghostbusters Afterlife? Any kind of anecdotes or, or anything? How you felt that we may have forgotten? I think we, we covered most of it. Yeah, no, I think we got into it pretty good. Um, I did want to spend some time talking about the trailers and we got to that. Uh, no, I, th- I think, I think we've covered all my bases this week. Excellent. How about you? No, I feel I feel yeah, pretty good about, you know, everything everything that we brought up and just an interesting franchise just all all around. <laughs> just every the way it's it started as spec screenplay and what it's what it's turned into the TV show and the reboots and the remakes and the Devo hell of it all like that it that we get another ghost and it's surprising to me that when I went to see it there was a little boy and he was dressed up like a ghostbuster like it has such an appeal of you know all generations you know what i mean not just Mm. yours or mine and we both saw it in vastly different decades so timeless it has it it has that feel so we'll see we'll see what happens after this the numbers will matter yeah um but it could have some legs going forward with some new blood it certainly sounds like they intend for it to go forward with what you set up with that post-credit scene second and the young cast, it, it certainly seems like that. Ghostbusters colon the new blood. <laughs> the new blood. Excellent. Uh, what was your favorite tasting note of Ghostbusters Afterlife? I think it was the opening, actually. It was very solid. When when the opening ended, I was like, maybe I'm not going to hate this as much yeah. as I thought I was. Yeah, yeah. that's what, I think that's what it was. Mine's uh, the first testing of the equipment, because mm-hmm. that was like that, essentially Luke with the lightsaber for the first time, that moment of, mm-hmm. here's how is the young new character is going to master the equipment that's also unpredictable in its own right. The original Ghostbusters even have trouble using those machines <laughs> in yeah. the original film. So yeah, yeah. how are they going to do? And I, I just loved hearing that those sound effects and the music that was all, that was the nostalgic piece that I really appreciated, which was not just in look and character and story, but in sound, they tried to make it nostalgic. And that's what I I liked about it. Good. What's the... Oh, my God! 
moment of Ghostbusters Afterlife? I think it's the proton packs that are creating the gate that's keeping whatever the hell is mm. in that pit yeah. at bay. Yeah. Whatever was in there was pretty terrifying and very hungry. <laughs> and it almost got Phoebe. Yeah, when she like looks over and it's like crawling up. Yeah. I think visually it was really interesting because you're trying to see through all of the different shapes in there to exactly decode what all of them are. Um, I thought it was cool that it was in a mine. And then, yeah. I think I'm going to go with that, actually. Mine's that who you're going to call line. I need those type of lines out of these types of movies. Like if you and I were writing and we kind of came, I was like, (laughs) I said, hey, Matt, what if we put here? Who are you going to call? I don't know how we could do that and not think who's not going to think this is too cheesy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even in execution delivery, like that actor, and he's been in a lot of films too. Uh, I don't know how you could just do it and not just think it was totally ridiculous. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there's a lot of people out there, the simpletons that really like stuff (laughs) like that. But I don't. I, I don't need that. Who's the master distiller on Ghostbusters Afterlife? It's Phoebe. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one f- part of the film that I came away with saying, I think they really, other than my little gripe and arc of how they could have built up to it a little bit more, the one part I think they really, really nailed. Like the science piece, her smarts, how she interacts, her jokes, her pantameter, and then her kind of hero's journey. I thought they did a good job with her character. It's hard to argue. You can't. She's the most fleshed out and, and uh, enduring character in the film too. Anything for Jason Reitman? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll give him. So. I'll give, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, it's not, you know, we used the original as how you write a screenplay. So it's a pretty important piece of writing, but this is mostly pretty solid. There's a couple of e moments you said in there, the stay puffed, the, who you going to call um, maybe the speed in the third act, how quickly it went for me as far as the elevation of, of stakes. But, no, I think he, he it's handled pretty well. Okay. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade Ghostbusters Afterlife? We have Rocket Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. What are you doing? Good, solid call. Maybe Call Plus. Okay. Really enjoyable film. I would watch it again. Uh, checked all the boxes I needed to, and I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't think I was going to be a big fan of this film, and it, it proved me wrong. Excellent. Call. That's good. That's a nice feeling to have. Yeah. Better than The Eternals last week? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, How about you? I'm going to do two things this week because the moment that happened in the film reminded me of something I brought up last week. What is this film even going to do? Uh, that's homage, v- remake. Yeah. Uh, I'm just telling you right now, if there's Ghost Harold Ramis in this thing, uh, rocket rating instantly. I, I don't care if it's great. They can't do that. That's mm. so disrespectful, and you know this is that type of film that would go there. Oh, yeah. What? He just shows up, and he's like, hi, granddaughter, and it's some CGI Harold Ramis. Like, the guy's dead. He can't do that. Oh, boy. Did you hear that, Ghostbusters? You better not have gone down that road. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't don't you think about it. Wow. This well, is going to be wild. Well, guess boy, what? look at you, prophet. Well, guess what? They did it. <laughs> boy, howdy. Because I want to remain a man of white word, I'm going to do two things. Mm. That moment in the film is pretty rock cut for me, Mm -hmm. just in terms of how it comes across, and it's something I don't need. And I know the intention's good with Reitman and what he wants to pay tribute to. I need that out of the movie. That's a rock cut moment, and that needs they need to get away from that with these legacy films, whatever they're calling them. But the film overall, in general, I'll give it a second rating. I'll probably go call minus. 
well plus call minus. I thought it was it was pretty enjoyable. I had a good time. I laughed at a lot of the jokes. Mm-hmm. I loved some of the nostalgic pieces. I like what they did with the new stuff and less of bringing the old things back because. You know, the old things, if they're there, you know, I'm just going to go watch the original movie. Like, I'm not going to settle in for this one. But I thought this could have been bad. I thought this could have been, like, a train wreck. And then the trailers, much like yourself, did diddly for me. Um, I thought it was mostly, it was successful at times and then times when it was groaning. But overall, I'd probably sit down and watch this again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I don't know if I liked it as much as Ghostbusters 2. That was that's a kind of a childhood just kind of guilty pleasure of mine. That's not a great film, but I, I loved ooze and slime like as a kid. I just thought it was cool. So I really liked that one. The first one's still it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So how's it gonna beat that? But I think very serviceable. Solid. I think that's fair. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode with our nightcap. <laughs> They even played that same music when they were looking up at the mine and it's like swirling with a dark cloud of ghosts and it's like, doom, doom. I'm like, yeah, like I like, that's like the ghost theme. That's like the creepy ghost music you play. It's the moments like that where they weave in the prior stuff that needs to not have the, who you going to call from the. Sure. Yeah. They, they did it. Yeah. They, they did. They, they, they were doing it already. They didn't need to overkill it. <laughs> they, uh, over. Oh, good. That's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Nightcap this week. Uh I meant you know, the the credit scene he didn't stick around for, but no, that's yeah, there's no way to know. Got it now. You got it now. Um, be it barring that this film's a success and they continue on in whatever fashion, what would you like to see in a sequel, story wise, character wise? What's something? How would you pitch a sequel to this thing? So can I pitch you? Pitch you? Yeah, good. I have a what if for you, Mister Producer. Okay. What if? Let I me mean, get my coffee, my shark bite coffee. I'm tweaking on uh, espresso over here. <laughs> Put your phone down so you can give me 90 seconds. Yes. <laughs> what if the spectral... Don't sweat through your shirt, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what if the spectral apparition that kills Egon okay. at the beginning of the film has nothing to do with Gozer? Okay. What if each one of the remaining original Ghostbusters is threatened or done away with by the same thing? Oh, okay. Almost kind of like... A- a Christmas Carol type of thing, right? It's kind of, kind of the specter coming for them. Yep. Okay. It doesn't all have to happen on the same night, and there needs to be enough of a time lapse to where whatever remaining Ghostbuster that doesn't get done away with is able to talk to Phoebe and Trevor and Ghostbusters Jr. Mm-hmm. or possibly team up with them in order to save all of the remaining. This can include Annie Potts too. Okay. Members of the original Ghostbusters. It gets us out of Gozer. Yeah. It gets us into a team up that's more team up and not like we're going to show up at the last second and save the day, even though we haven't been in the movie (laughs) like they did in this film. Yeah. And I think it introduces a wealth of opportunities for a larger evil that has set their sights on, I don't want world domination, but ending the threat of the Ghostbusters in a less comedic kind of way. Okay. You want more horror? A little bit more horror. Okay. So there's my Ghostbusters colon a new blood. The new blood. Fresh blood. (laughs) 
<laughs> sounds good. Hey, okay, that's that. That sounds really good. I'm gonna piggyback a little bit on the end credit scene of whatever's waiting in that trap for that. Well, you, you got it. Since I gave you the producer, you got to come back with. Oh. Is it an ensemble piece? And can you make it for under five million dollars? <laughs> Single location? Mm, no. <laughs> okay. Pass. Send it me. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Send, send it, it to me. We'll send, we'll send it to Paul Rudd's people. And then I'll never get in touch with you again. But <laughs> that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for your pitch. Yes. Uh, next, please. <laughs> uh, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on that end scene of I want to know what's in waiting in that trap because that's an opportunity to be wholly creative with something we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, uh, so I want that. But then, like, I don't need to see the Ghostbusters in their suits ever again, the original crew. But I would like to see them as kind of mentor pieces. So if we're going back to New York City and reopening the team with our new blood, um, you got to kind of show them because they did it, but they kind of did it kind of half-assed. <laughs> it right. was kind of a mess. Right. Have Ray be the mentor to little podcast. Have, you know, uh, Winston, you know, showing them some business oh, savvy and some mechanics. Yeah. And then, you know, Bill Murray, they can bring him in with like kind of like a wild card as aspect. And even Sigourney Weaver, too. I, I would like to see her as mentors specifically and weaved into the story. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? They're not just there as cameos, but like. Almost like Halloween Kills had Tommy Doyle and all these old people kind of part of the story. Mm -hmm. They could do something with that, but um, I want to get away from any, don't do the slime uh, Vigo the Carpathian. Don't do that again. Uh, do something Do something new. Mm. Um, but we, if, the, if you want to have your, your cameos and your fan moments, weave them in as part of the story and not just throwaways. Good. And get Rick Moranis back. <laughs> Find a way. Get him in for something. Yeah, it's got to be worth his time. So the story's got to be good. And his, his little portion has to be worthwhile. I like all that. Because he's a great part of that. It's just kind of like the goofy little nerd. Like, like this is real Nova Scotia salmon. From I get that from 250 on the gallon or this and that. I got I got a C-acetylic acid. I get half of that from 50 of the name brand. Oh, man. I want that back in Ghostbusters. He could do it. Uh, but that's a wrap on this cast. This has been interesting, you know, and maybe we were waiting for October to kind of deliver us some movies that were worth our to time a bit. Yeah. yeah. No kidding, huh? Um, but, um, we got some new stuff at the end of the year that you already prefaced. We're going to do Spider. How could we not talk about that movie? Right. It's probably going to give us too many things to talk about. Time variants, <laughs> uh. the TVA, uh, multiple Spider-Men, all those villains showing up from all these films. Like, what are we doing in this film? But mm -hmm. um, it'll be a good conversation for sure. Yeah. But in the next couple of weeks, while we're kind of waiting for that to get a little closer and not overindulge you with superheroes every single week, uh, it's Thanksgiving next week. We have a lot to be thankful for. Um, but uh, this is something we've always talked about doing and just kind of just it's more of a personal pick and choices for the next two weeks your own wild card. What's a film that you're thankful for that you're thankful exists because it's a, something you like B you watch it all the time. B it makes you happy. B it's why you love movies. What is your thankful pick for next week? And then I'm going to pick next week. I'm I'm you're two weeks from now. Yeah. I'm picking yeah, up. That's why I'll pick mine next week, but you're picking yours right now. For I'm next. changing because that's why I said, I can't believe you just set up in the air. Okay. Cause that's originally what I had chosen. Really? But that's not what we're doing now. Okay. That was, I swear to God, that's, I said, I can't believe you said it. Interesting. We'll do that film one of these days. Someday we'll do it. Okay. So yeah. we're not, which I would consider that film comedy, more dramedy, but I'm going to stay in the comedy vein. And that'd be good for like a cast of like interesting, like workplace occupations. Yeah. In film. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to change. And right now we're going with Zach and Mary. Oh, 
sweet. Yeah, you've been talking about that one for a long time. Give us a chance to talk about Kevin Smith, talk about what financially was not a real big success, but is a solid film. Get to talk about the band live a little bit. Um, yeah. The Gen X and Me is coming out. Oh, that's, yeah, I can't wait. I've only ever seen it the one time in the theater when it came out. That was already 12 years ago. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Crazy, yeah. Great choice. Zach and Miri. That's going to be good. I think that's 09, right? Yep. Yep. Excellent. That'll be fun. I'll save mine for next week, but this this will be fun to kind of kind of get in the weeds with why it kind of matters to us. Yeah. Excellent. That's going to be a lot of fun. So you have that coming to you next week. Uh, check out some of these new films and the stuff coming out. There's stuff, things coming out on streaming. And uh, you told me to check out Red Notice was maybe worth my time. For like a popcorn, spend some time. Okay. Um, are you a Yellowstone fan? Yeah. We did finally got to the first two episodes of Yellowstone. Okay. Excellent. Oh. Um, I'll give you a not recommendation, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Last night in Soho. Oh no, no, I want to. I want to see I that. Too, I want to check that out. I like Edgar Wright. Um, no, Disney Plus's new again. This legacy bullshit. Home sweet home alone is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my oh, you entire life. Oh, yeah, my that's an hour and a half. I'm never getting back. No, never. There's a lot of huge, huge, huge problems with that. And you know, I like Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what I'll pick. I'm kidding. I'm going to save that for another day for a Christmassy thing or whatever. But um, so check out Red Notice. Check out Yellowstone. Don't watch Home Sweet Home Alone, ladies and gentlemen. Excellent. So that's a capper on this one. Uh, hit us up on any of our social media platforms or at uh, Productions at gmail.com. Hit up Public for all your merching needs. And follow us on all your social or uh, not uh, your podcasting platforms. Leave us a rating and a review. We'd greatly appreciate that. We would. But uh, we'll see you. So I got to get going. I got to go empty out my uh, trash compactor. I don't know what type of ghost is in there, but uh, it might be smelly from all the food I keep shoving in there, too. <laughs> if that red light's blinking, we're bringing in Rotorood or somebody to help okay. you. And... Uh, Rick Moranis. Moranis. Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Ghostbusters Afterlife is property of Sony Pictures Releasing, Columbia Pictures, Braun Creative, Ghost Core, the Montecito Picture Company, and Right Away Films. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Ghostbusters, we're ready to believe you. We're closed.